Man, I don't know how they did in Ferndale, but you guys actually said hello tonight. That's awesome. That's great. Fantastic. That's the way a greeting should be. Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King Church. We're glad that you're here. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Welcome those of you who are joining us at the Ferndale campus, and a special welcome to those of you who are joining us during the week online. We're just really glad that you've chosen to be a part of our faith family this weekend. The only announcement that I have is basically this. Next weekend, we are doing communion and commandments. We're putting those two elements together, and it's going to be in all of the services here at Bellingham, the service in Ferndale as well. Communion is a very intimate time. Pastor Mike is going to lead us intimately into a time of worship and deep contemplation of the cross. And so I encourage you to be here and uh, to be ready to go hearing what God has for us next weekend. Well, we're going to start with a question. What do you think about when I say the phrase, hands up? I mean, if you're a fan of the National Football League, you might think, touchdown, right? If you're a roller coaster fan, you might think, woohoo, let's get ready for that first big dip. If you're this guy, can I get a picture of, uh, of this particular guy? Um, this guy took it literally, held his hands or his arms above his head for more than 20 years. And if that's what raising your hands does, that's just spooky and weird right there is what that is. 20 years with your hands above your head, I have no idea why you'd actually do that. If I said, get your hands up, and your response was to go like this, and then interlace your hands behind your head, turn around and assume the position, then what I need you to know is you're going to fit right in here at Christ the King Community Church, and we're glad that you're here. I mean, some of you, if I said, get your hands up, you would think worship, and I think that is a wonderful thing, because this is a beautiful posture of worship. It's actually commanded in Scripture. But I think there's probably very few of you that would, that would say, if I said the word, get your hands up, that would think right away of Moses. Unless, of course, you read ahead to Exodus 17 and 18, because that's exactly where you're going, or where we're going on this particular day. We've been doing a series called The Road Out from Exodus. And so far on this journey, we've seen God show up big for his people. We see how, how God responded to his people while they were in their captivity. We saw Moses throw down his old identity, pick up a new one in God. We've seen God get his people out. A couple weeks ago, we heard that God not only gets you out, but sometimes he gets you through. We've seen him provide. We've seen the people. Um, if you were here last weekend, we saw how God, uh, people responded to his provision, and, and they did it the wrong way. They responded with whining and complaining about the menu and beverage selections. Then we actually saw a proper response to God's provision. We've seen God in a pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of fire at night. We've seen him get up close and personal. And here's the most amazing news. The same God that walked the people of Israel through the desert for 40 years is still walking with us right now. It's a beautiful thing. Here's what happens next on the road out. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of a hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword, and Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because my hands were, li- because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. I love when we get to just kind of walk through a book because you don't get to pick what comes next. 
It just shows up. And God's timing is absolutely amazing. Because what we're going to talk about is this particular picture. The Amalekites come and they pick a fight with the people of God. They raise their hands against God's people. Moses gets up on the top of a hill to kind of oversee the battle, and he finds something cool. When his hands are up, they're winning. When his hands are down, they're losing. So he makes a logical deduction. Keep your hands up, right? Just keep your hands up in the air, and you're going to be fine. Now, this is not as easy as it sounds. And I'm going to demonstrate it for you over the next couple of moments. And if you're a praying person, especially at Ferndale, you can pray for me right now, okay? Because this is the posture that Moses has to take as he is overseeing this incredible battle. Literally, he's got his hands up in conflict. That's the first blank in your outline. He's got his hands up in the middle of a conflict. Well, now, I don't know about you, but when conflict comes, I often raise my hands, but I don't do it this way. I do it defensively. I get my hands up defensively because I don't want anybody to hurt me. I don't want anyone to inflict pain on me. I mean, you know, our, we get into a conflict with our spouse and we say something hurtful or they something hurt, say something hurtful and we get all defensive and then we come out swinging. Has anybody else noticed, hands up, that that does not work well for you, right? When somebody says something and then you come out swinging, it just doesn't work. I mean, I believe God's sending a pretty cool message here. When you're confronted with conflict of any kind at all, don't get your hands up in the wrong way. Don't get defensive. Get your hands up in the right way. Invite Jesus into the middle of the conflict, because I'll promise you something. If you invite Jesus into the conflict with you and your kids, you and your spouse, you and your boss, whoever happens to be, if you invite Jesus to show up, you're going to talk different. You're going to act different. You're, gonna say, you're not going to say certain things that you were planning on saying because God's going to be right in the center of it. As long as your hands are extended toward God, you're winning the battle for your character. And Moses has his hands up in conflict, and then we get to see a different picture because hand, keeping your hands up in your own strength is hard. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you right now. This is not feeling good anymore. It's actually a little bit numb on the tips of my fingers, and my arms are getting a little shaky. And I've got sweat running down my back right now. I mean, this is just not a comfortable place to be because pretty soon you get tired, right? Holding them up on your own strength. Pretty soon Moses is tired and his hands start to come down. Now we know because of the story that's not a good thing because it's like, I got to get him back up again because if my hands go down, we start losing. I love the story because of what happens next. Moses has two friends who come to help him. And Moses begins to understand something. If I'm going to actually make it through this battle, I'm going to need somebody to hold my hands up. So we see hands up in conflict, and then it shifts. And then we see hands up in community. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, having your hands up is an incredibly humbling experience. I just finished experiencing having someone hold my hands up in the prayer room. Because a group of intercessors came to pray for you and the people in Ferndale tonight before we even started church. And they come alongside of me, and we invite Jesus to hijack the service. And I say, this is, this is all I have to offer. This is all I was able to work on this week. This is the best piece of scripture that I got for people. And those intercessors hold up my hands. And it's an incredibly humbling thing. I experience it when people send me a note of encouragement. 
And they just, you know, keep on keeping on, Pastor. Might be hard, might be difficult, but you just keep doing what you need to do because we've got your back. It's a big deal. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not glamorous to hold up somebody else's hands. I mean, after a little while, when Moses is pitting out, you know, and he's shaking like a leaf, it's not fun to be Moses' friends and to hold up his hands in that particular moment. These guys are friends. They would have to be. They're more than just casual acquaintances. They believe in Moses and the God that he is following. And I'm going to tell you something. At some point in your life, you are desperately going to need somebody to hold your hands up. You just will. One day, God forbid, the child is going to die. And you're going to need somebody. The business is going to go under. And you're going to need somebody. A relationship is going to break down or break off. A dream that you had for years is just going to suddenly go away. And in those moments when you're losing, you're going to need somebody to stand at your side and do more than just wish you well. You're going to need somebody to grab your wrist and get your hands up where they need to be. I listed a couple of descriptors of different kinds of people for you to consider. The first is confidants. Confidants are people who will handle your sweat and your shaking because they love you. They'll listen to you whine and complain, and then they'll love you enough to tell you the truth and send you back out into the battle. They're there through thick and thin. Their friendship is more like a brotherhood than an acquaintance. And I'm going to tell you something. True confidence are rare. Most people will find one or two in their entire lifetime. If you need one, you need to pray and ask God. If you have one, you need to get your hands up in the air and say, thank you, Jesus, for providing somebody like that to hold my hands up when I haven't got the strength to do it on my own. I've been blessed with a few confidants in my life. In the last couple of weeks, my only prayer has been that I could be in some way for them what they have been for me. Because nobody notices when somebody's holding your hands up because they often do it in secret. And when you're tucked in a back room somewhere saying, God, I don't know what to do next. They come along and get a hold of you by the wrist and they say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Second kind of people are comrades. These people are willing to go to war with you. They've got your back. They don't flinch when the world gets shaky. They may not always be at your side, but they are always in the fight without question. They'd hold up your hands if you asked them to, but these kind of people are very busy doing it in lots of different people's lives. And everybody needs some comrades. Everybody needs a band of brothers that will be willing to go to war with you. Thirdly, there's people who are colleagues. These are good people. They've got the same mission, but they may have chosen another battle. And they're close because they're family. They may work side by side. They may work side by side to the same end, but they may be doing it in a different location. This is like every other church in Whatcom County that names Jesus as Lord. Those are colleagues of ours. They're committed to the cause, but they may not be committed to you personally. They're valuable to the kingdom, but they're not closely intertwined in your life. Then there's a group of people we call the community. These are the people who are on the receiving end of the mission of Jesus. These are the people that we're at war for. We're not at war with them. We're at war for them because we want them to know how much God loves them. We don't know them. And yet we're called to love them. And here's the cool thing about them. They don't know they're coming to church yet. 
they don't know they're coming to Jesus yet. There is no such thing as a non-Christian. In this county, they're all pre-Christians. We're just not quite there yet. And finally, there's the crowd. This is everybody else. I'll tell you something from experience. As a leader in the crowd, there's a lot of fans, but there's not a lot of friends. If you've got a pen with you, I'm just going to invite you to take out your outline and just to, to put a bracket around the bottom, two sections there, community and crowd. That's the people that we have a dream of reaching. In the top three section there, if you put a bracket around that, that's something absolutely every single believer in Jesus needs. So this is my question. Whose hands are you holding up and who's holding yours? Do you have enough confidence in your life confidants in your life to carry your casket when that day comes. Do you have people in your life that would go to war with you? Do you have someone to hold up your hands? Have you held up anybody else's or are you just lost in the crowd trying to hold up your hands in your own strength? I'm going to tell you something. If you try to do this Christian journey alone and in isolation, you will lose. You will. You know, and I know we're tempted in certain times to go like this. You know, well, I hold my hands up and nobody came and helped me. You know, we learned something last week. Don't whine about it. Don't whine about people not caring. Care for somebody and see what happens. Some of you go, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Somebody should come and hold my hands up. You know what? If you know Jesus, this is the way that it works. He's always held up your hands and you've never held his. That's not fair either, but it certainly is good. Amen? He's always holding yours up. And he just says, do like I do and watch what happens. Nobody holds yours up. You go hold somebody else's for a while. See whether or not they might return the favor at some point down the road. These friends of Moses hold up his hands in community. And here's the coolest thing. They win the battle. The Amalekites go down. And it culminates with Moses having his hands up in worship. Moses builds an altar to worship God. He proclaims the Lord as his banner. He walks under it proudly. The Amalekites had the audacity to raise their hand against the throne of God. And they lost. Don't raise your hand against the throne of God. Raise your hands to God because he's faithful and worthy and perfect and holy and loving and forgiving and merciful and patient and strong and hearing and willing. He was dying, now he's living, he's God. We should praise him. I mean, we should do that. There should be nothing in us that keeps us from wanting to raise our hands in worship as a way of saying, Papa, you're it for me. That's what it means. The battle is won, and then an amazing little slice of life happens. People start being people, and some conflict shows up again. But this time, it's not conflict with the Amalekites outside of the family. It's conflict within the family. It probably went like this. You took my donkey. Did not. You took too much manna. Did not. You took more water than you should have. I did not. You sing off key. Did not. You're bugging me. I am not. You know, yeah, yeah, so back, 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 blah, blah, blah. Children, right? And then it begins to escalate, and pretty soon it's family disputes. I'm sure there were some moments when, when people were arguing within their family with certain people. I want to go back to Egypt. We're not going back to Egypt. No way. God did too much to bring us out. Issues of morality. Issues within marriages. Moses hears the conflict that's starting to break out in the people of Israel, and he sets out trying to resolve everybody's problems. 
And this is what happens next on the road out. The Bible says in Exodus 18, the next day Moses took his seed to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge with all these people while they stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Can you imagine if that was your job description? All day and all night solving other people's problems. I don't know how counselors do it. I really don't. I have no idea how judges in court keep their sanity. As they have to mediate problems going back and forth. I mean, solving disputes is tough. Mediation is tough. I mean, and I can imagine, it probably didn't take very long for Moses to get to a point where he had his hands all up all right, but his hands were up in desperation. That's the next blank there. I mean, he suddenly figures out something out. He's a one-man government. And he's got hundreds of thousands of people out in the desert. I mean, I can imagine not only were his hands up in desperation, like, help me, God, but there was probably a moment when it's just like, I'm done. These people are nuts. They've got no logic. God, I want you to take them back to Egypt. I'm throwing my hands up. I'm throwing in the towel. I mean, anybody else ever been to that point before? You're doing your best, but you just keep falling further and further behind. You try to help everybody else out with their problems while you're drowning in an ocean of your own. And I love it because this is where God sends Moses a confidant. Aaron and her were the guys who stood by Moses' side and said, hands up, buddy. We got you. And then God sends him another friend, a confidant. It's his father-in-law, Jethro. That's a miracle, right? You know, God sends your in-law to help you. That's a miracle of Jesus right there. Jethro sees what's going on. He notices and says to himself, I think Moses is going to lose it. So he provides some godly words of wisdom. This is what the Bible says. It says, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. That's pretty clear, right? This is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work's too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Do you notice that? doesn't say figure it out on your own. Bring the disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they're to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all of the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times and have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied. Here's what God and Jethro are asking Moses to do. Get your hands up. But get your hands up and surrender because you can't do this on your own. Get your hands up and surrender. You know how I know that? Because if you walk through the rest of the verses, you see that Jethro comes along and says, I need you to surrender not just to God, but I need you to surrender a whole bunch of things. I need you to surrender to a reality check, my friend. He says to him, this is not good, Moses. You're going to burn out. 
You think you're Superman and you're not. You think you've got all the answers. You actually think you can save everybody. It's not possible. You just can't do it. You're going to be toast. You need to surrender to a reality check. This is not working. Secondly, he asked him to surrender to healthy boundaries. In verse 18, he said, you need to learn how to say no, Moses. Being up here all day and all night, this is not good. You're going to crack. You need to learn how to be healthy. You need to learn there's a huge difference between hurting someone and harming someone. And right now, you're not doing either one of those super well. By the way, hurting someone's feelings with good boundaries is not a bad thing. Harming someone's soul, now that's a totally different deal. He says, you need to learn that it's okay to shut this thing off and trust God with God's people. But you've got to figure out a way to get it done. Thirdly, he says, I need you to surrender to God's standards. You need to point them back to God, Moses. I mean, you're taking all this on your own shoulders. You need to point them back to God because God's the only one who can actually figure this thing out. I mean, we actually try to practice this at Christ the King because we've got this little saying that we say around here, at least on staff, whenever there's all kinds of needs that are overwhelming, we say this, the best thing we can give to anyone is Jesus. Oh, come on, people in Bellingham, seriously. The best thing we can give to anybody is Jesus. I mean, it's not all the other stuff. It's not even money. It's not food. It's not a rent check. The best thing we can offer to them is Jesus because he's the answer to the deep issues in the bottom of their soul. He says, Moses, you got to point these people back to God. And then he also says, I need you to surrender to trusting some other people. I mean, you're going to have to trust some other folks around here, Moses. You need to surround yourself with people who can take some of the load. God's equipped some other people, Moses, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens. They need to learn how to care for each other because you can't care for them all. All right, here it comes. You ready? Some of us need a reality check because we think the way we're doing life is working but the reality is it's not working at all we're doing all kinds of stuff our whole world is a series of checklists and we just keep checking the boxes and checking the boxes and checking the boxes thinking that god's going to love us more if we get all of the boxes checked and it's killing us We actually think that the world revolves around us and that it can't possibly survive without us. And so what we do is we never say no, ever. We're just stuck on a treadmill of, yes, yeah, sure, I can do that. I'll do my best. I'll try to squeeze that in. I have no idea when I'm going to do that. Sure, I'll come and visit you at the hospital. 4.30 a.m., no problem. I can be there. Yes, 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 yes. Because we're convinced we've got to meet that need. We think that the greatest gift we can give is us, even if we're melting. So we're plugged in all of the time. I watch some of you. Your iPhone goes off and you twitch. Because you're on an electronic leash that everybody just gets to jerk whenever they feel like it. I see it happen in services. You know? Because you twitch and then your face lights up because you glow when you turn your screen on. I see it. I gotcha. I understand, right? I mean, you don't trust anybody because you honestly think nobody else can do it better than you can. I mean, this is not good. When you're texting in your sleep... That's not healthy. You know? Not good. 
here's the problem. You can't hand anything off because you never lay it down. Now, I know some of you already know me and you know what's coming next. I am so preaching to me right now. It just drives me nuts when we're going through the book of one of these books of the Bible and we're doing a little exegetical thing and I see what's coming next because Jesus is just like, I so have you figured out. I'm like, I don't know. I want to talk about this this week. I hate this chapter because it's exactly what I need to hear. Some of you around this summer, I took a break. I hadn't taken a break as long as I took one this summer in over 22 years of ministry. And I took the break because my confidants came to me and said, you're burning out. And you need to get a clue. You need to take off your Superman shirt for once and realize that God's equipped the rest of us to actually get ter- take care of this thing because this is our church, not yours. So you need to take your hands off of it. Stop being the savior of the universe and just relax and believe that Jesus said he'd build his church and your name is not mentioned in that sentence anywhere. I'm so thankful for a Jethro in my life who came and just said, stop. I honestly believe if I hadn't, I wouldn't be here today. He held my hands up and I learned something. I learned this. You're either going to throw your hands up in worship or in desperation, and the choice is up to you. You get to take your pick. So the application is really this. Where are you doing too much, and where are you doing too little? I mean, where are you doing too much stuff? Where are you trying to control too much? Where where, where are you trying to, to, to pick all of the little things and keep all of the balls in the airs at the same time? Where are you doing too little guarding of your heart and your soul? Where are you doing too little time with your Savior before you just launch into your day? Where are you doing too little, Jesus? I'm going to tell you, in the coming months, we're going to be looking for leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. You should ask God which one of those you are, because every single person in this room and the room in Ferndale is not exempt from being a part of this glorious mission. I'm looking at the ministers of Christ the King Community Church. Some of you were chosen to lead thousands, some of you hundreds, some of you fifties and tens. You know where we all need to start? We need to start with leading ourselves. And this is where God wants us to go. That's where he wants us to go. Surrender, obedience, community, and the conflict of fighting for every soul that doesn't know Jesus yet in Whatcom County. Here's an amazing thing. Moses actually listened to his father-in-law. Pretty incredible. Exodus 18, 24 says this. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and he made leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Moses got his hands up in obedience. He got them up where they needed to be. He's really doing this. Moses owned where he was. He owned where he was, which begs me to ask a question. Have you surrendered to isolation or to God's plan for your participation? You trying to do it on your own? I mean, if you look at this, the stories have a common thread. The common thread is this. Becoming free and staying free can never be done in isolation. In fact, if you read these stories from Scripture, 
Hopefully, over top of both of them, you'll write one word. Together. We have got to do this together. You can't hold your hands up on your own. I know, I've tried. We need each other to be participants because there's going to be moments when you're not going to be able to hold up your hands in your own strength. So we're going to segue right now and I'm going to turn the service over to the campus pastor in Ferndale. We thank you guys for being here. Here in Bellingham, we're going to have a moment when we're going to surrender too. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back and join me. See, here's what I see right now in the world. I see a lot of people that are scared to death and don't know where to turn. And you need to get your hands up because like it or not, there's a battle being fought outside of the doors of this place. You want to have some encouraging things about that battle? It's already been won. And it's been won by the Jesus who holds all of our hands up. I got one person who believes it. That's awesome. There's a battle going on out there. And it's not us against them. It's us for them, church. Us for them. So that they can experience what it feels like when God holds your hands. It's a beautiful thing. Some of us need to get our hands up and surrender. And say, God, I've been trying to do this all on my own. Some of us need to get our hands up and worship. Not because it's a contest or a certain way that we worship. But because we believe that God is worth all of that adoration and praise. For some of us, it's just hands up in community praying over our brothers and sisters that God would have his will and his way. Sometimes it's hands up in desperation. Sometimes it is. Whenever we stretch our hands towards God, this is the picture I want in your mind. We are all God's children. He's our papa. And when we reach, he reaches back. Because he loves us. We don't just stand there and hope that he comes and takes us. He promised that he would. So we're going to have a moment of worship. This is not the end of the service. And in this service, just need you to do this. I need you to respond how God tells you to respond. If the Lord tells you to stand up, stand up. If he tells you to raise your hands, raise your hands. If he tells you to sit, sit. If he tells you to move to your knees, you move to your knees. Because regardless of how we come to God this way, he loves us. So let's worship him in spirit and truth right now, exactly where you are. Didn't plan on doing this. Here we go anyway. If you're facing a battle this week and you know what it is, and it's scary and it's hard and you feel like you're in it alone, I'm going to ask you to stand and put your hands straight up in the air. If that doesn't describe you, you can sit down right now. But if you're in it, you know this week you're facing a spiritual battle. I want you to stand. I want you to put your hands straight up in the air. And then church, I want you to be the church. If you're sitting right now, 
you get to one of these people and you grab one of them by you grab them by the wrist and you hold their hands up with them because nobody needs to stand alone. You get your hands up. Don't move or don't get our kids. Sorry, move, move. A little reverse deal there. You just hold their hand up because they're saying I can. I just need a little help. I need somebody to stand with me. Make sure nobody around you is standing by themselves. You just hold their hands up. This isn't awkward. This is family. This is the church being the church. Let's pray right now. Father God, would you win this battle for each brother or sister with their hands extended towards heaven? Thank you that they can know they are not alone. Their hands are stretched to heaven. And Lord, we know that the hands of Jesus reach to them. But sometimes it's nice to know that there's a brother or sister who cares. So Lord, we stand with those who are in a battle this week. And we declare, you are not alone. We declare, you will be victorious. We declare, God is for you not against you. We declare you have not been forgotten in Jesus' name. We declare that we are your family. We declare he loves you. We declare the battle will be won in the glorious name of Jesus. Thank you, God, for this moment. May encouragement and strength flow in your church. In Jesus' name.